0: Hello, Praise Chapel Paramount. This is Pastor Omar Lopez. This past Easter Sunday, we continued our Erase series, and I talked about how God's mercy will erase so many different things in our lives when we're ashamed, when we're angry, when we're afraid. These are emotions that really get us down, but God wants to erase those things out of our lives, and he wants to let us know that we live by his mercy, and his mercy is something we don't deserve but he loves us so much that we can live and walk in that mercy. Well, again, we're just glad you tuned in this morning. Again, Resurrection Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead. And we're going to continue just ministering here this morning. I pray today that the Lord will touch your life and those that have tuned in. And again, we're glad if if you're new and... You're tuning in for the first time. We welcome you. We're glad you tuned in today. And we pray the Lord will minister to you. And we're continuing to minister the word of God, even though we can't come together physically, but we could come together in our hearts, in our spirit, in our minds together online. And so many people are watching online today. We welcome everyone on this resurrection Easter Sunday morning. And so we're going to continue our series and we're incorporating This message, because I think it it, it applies to our sermon series, we started a sermon series called Erase in the beginning of this month. And last week I talked about God erasing all of our rejection. And of course, despite all that's going on in our world today, we know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ erases a lot of things in our life. It erases our sins. It erases our past. It erases the condemnation, and of course, erases the rejection, and it erases our failures. And without a doubt, we're believing God that God's going to erase this virus. He's going to erase sickness from people today, and we're believing God to touch lives because the presence of the Holy Spirit is going to come in the hearts and lives of people. And we thank God that he restores our lives. He heals our lives. He does things in our hearts today that we couldn't do in ourselves. And so I want to talk about the resurrection of Jesus and how the resurrection of Jesus erased many things out of our lives this morning. And I'm going to show you why. Uh, One of the things that we do know that Jesus Christ was crucified 33 AD. And the reason why I say that is because back then, after he uh, rose again, the Bible says that there were only 120 gathered or 120 followers of Jesus And then today, 2,000 years later, here we are, 2020, uh, there are over 2.3 billion people that are believers in Jesus Christ. In other words, uh, there are about 7.8 billion people on the earth, and 2.3 billion people are committed followers uh, of Jesus Christ. And so think about that. That's almost one out of every three people on the planet Claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And, and as we gather here today, many people say, well, it's unfortunate that uh, this is, we're not going to celebrate uh, Easter Sunday. I'm telling you, because of this online and because of all that's happened, they said this is probably going to be the most participated Easter service uh, in the history of the world. Because so many are tuning in online. And again, this is going to be a celebration. And so when I think about how Jesus gathered 12 disciples, and from those 12 disciples, they changed the world. What what was the difference? Why were they able to change the world? Because of the resurrection. Uh, Easter Sunday is the Super Bowl of Sundays. I'm going to just tell you right now, because Jesus rose again. And I want to share a little bit of the Easter story And I want to get into this because I really want us to look at something today, how the resurrection makes a difference in your life. It makes a difference in all of our lives. And I'm going to show you why out of the scripture here, out of Matthew chapter 28, and I'm going to read uh, briefly here the, the Easter story and the resurrection. And the Bible says here in Matthew chapter 28, verse one, early on Sunday morning, thank God for Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to see the tomb. So Jesus was already buried, obviously not buried, but was in the tomb. And this is after this crucifixion. And he'd been in the tomb three days and they went to go see him early in the morning. And suddenly there was an earthquake. Could you imagine that? When an angel moved the giant stone away from the opening of the tomb. In other words, these tombs were not in the ground, these tombs were tombs that you walked in. And the Bible says, uh, and they st- uh, and uh, the uh, the st- uh, or suddenly there was an earthquake, and the angel moved the stone, and then he sat on the stone, and the angel's face, uh, the Bible says, uh, shone like lightning, and his clothes were brilliant white. When the Roman soldiers or the Roman guards saw this, they were shook with fear, and they fainted. So these Roman guards, these these guards that were so big and mighty at that time fell to the ground. Then the angel spoke to the women and said, don't be afraid, fear not. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. Thank God he's not there anymore. He's been raised from the dead, just as he said it would happen. And so come and see for yourself. So he shows them the the tomb, that there's nobody in the tomb. So this angel has moved this giant stone Out of the way, Jesus is now, the earthquake happened. Jesus is now risen from the dead. And then the angel said this to them, now go quickly and tell his followers that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that that he's headed to Galilee and that he will see all of you up, uh, see you all there. So the women ran quickly from the tomb. Of course, they were afraid, but they were also filled with joy and they rushed to give the angel's message to the disciples, so the the uh, these women see this this angel. They see an empty tomb. They find out that Jesus is risen from the dead, and so they're running to tell the rest of the disciples and share the message. But as they were going, guess what happens? They run into Jesus, and Jesus says greeting to them, or in the modern day, good morning. And the Bible says the women came close to him. They fell at his feet. And they began to worship him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they're going to see me there. What a powerful, powerful story. And I'm going to share why it's so powerful and why and how it relates to us. So Father, right now, I pray for your anointing as I declare the word of God. I pray today that you'd open everyone's heart today. Help us to focus. Help us to give you our 100% undivided attention. Even though we're in our living room, wherever we may be right now, God, help us to focus on you for just a few moments. And Lord God, I pray for the grace and the anointing upon every word that I speak that the people of God would hear the voice behind the voice in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, I heard you guys there. And so the rest of the story we know, the Bible says that after Jesus rose again, that Jesus didn't rise again and just leave. In fact, if you read the scripture, he hung around for 40 days. In fact, the Bible says he was seen uh, by as many as 500 people. And there were different occasions where Jesus ate with the disciples. He had breakfast with the disciples. He, infected, uh, he affected the entire uh, uh, Jerusalem and during that time and, and impacted. And so why is Jesus or why is Easter so important? See, Jesus claimed to be the son of God. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus claimed to be God himself. And can I tell you, he proved it by rising again from the dead. In fact, whenever you write your check or whenever you write, uh, uh, um, I know we don't write checks anymore, but whenever you write the date down or your birthday down, I want you to think about this, that your birthday is reference to what? Your birthday date is referenced to the date that Jesus rose again. See, BC means before Christ. And A.D. Uh, basically means anno domini, in other words, the year of our Lord. And so, whenever we say 33 A.D., we're saying from the year of our Lord. So, every time you write down a date, it his, in history or anytime you write a date, it basically in history it's referencing the birth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our history is split by his resurrection. Even the Bible says that when uh, Christ was uh, born and when Christ came to the temple after he was born, that Zechariah said these words uh, uh, and he prophesied these words out of Luke chapter 1, verse 78. A new day will dawn on us because our God is loving and merciful. Think about that. And I want to talk about how God erases things in our life because he is so merciful because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, a lot of people don't understand mercy. They have an inter- a misunderstanding of mercy. They don't understand what mercy is. And I want to say to you that the resurrection of Jesus proved the mercy of God. And what is mercy? Mercy is undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. In other words, we didn't get what we deserved. He showed kindness, undeserved kindness and undeserved forgiveness and in fact i want to just say this to you every time we breathe every moment that we're alive it's because the mercy of god it is the gift of god and there's three things you can write this down and i believe it will encourage you that because of the resurrection of jesus and because of his mercy it erases our shame okay he takes away uh, us um, from being uh, because many of us are deeply ashamed of things he takes away our angry our anger And he takes away from us being afraid. So many of us this morning live with things that we're we're ashamed of. We live with things that we're angry about. We live with things that that make us afraid. And the mercy of God removed all of those things. That's what Easter is about. It's Easter is basically saying when God gave us mercy, he basically took those things that, that we have messed up. How many know that none of us are perfect? All of us have made mistakes. All of us have had some failures in our lives. There's nobody that's perfect. Now, if you're perfect, you can tune off right now. You can sh- shut it down. You don't even need to listen because you're perfect. You can shine your little halo, buff it out a little bit while you're listening or while you're doing all day to day. But I want to say to the rest of us that know that we're broken that God's still working on us, that, that none of us is batting a thousand, none of us this morning got it all together. We need the grace and we need the mercy of God. We can't meet God's standard on our own. We can't even meet our own standards. And this is not debatable. I understand that because none of us are perfect. None of us claim to be perfect. But can I tell you something? Jesus was perfect. And that's why, because of his perfection, he can take upon the sins of all mankind upon himself. Here's what the Bible says about us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we've not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, we're deceiving ourselves when we're saying we got it all together. We have to be willing to admit that we need the mercy of God. And, and so whoever you are today, wherever walk of life you come from, we have to admit that there's been times where we've messed up, where we, we've allowed ourselves to be entrapped. We've allowed ourselves to be bound by things and God shows us mercy. In fact, I wanna share a story with you that Jesus is able by his mercy to remove all of our shame because there's many things, like I said, uh, that we're, we're ashamed about. And Jesus can remove by his mercy, erases the the shame in our life. I want to share this story, a famous story that most of us probably are familiar with. It's in John chapter 8, verse number 2. It says, one day Jesus was teaching a crowd outside the temple. And the Bible said, some of the Pharisees brought a woman who was caught in adultery. Now, these Pharisees hated Jesus. These Pharisees were the religious people. In fact, they, they looked at Jesus, with, with despised them in, in their heart. And really the common people is the ones that love Jesus. So they bring this woman who's been caught in adultery to see what Jesus is going to do. And, and Jesus is teaching this large crowd. And these Pharisees bring this woman that's caught in adultery, adultery and they put her on display in front of the crowd. And they said to Jesus, this woman has been caught in adultery And the law of Moses said to stone her. In other words, she deserves capital punishment. And of course, back then, the Jewish people could not carry that out. Only the Roman government could. And so they wanted to see if Jesus would go against the government or would he indeed not show mercy and have her killed at the same time. So it was a a trap question. And, And so they asked Jesus, what do you say? They were trying, the Bible says, to trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him. See, they were conniving away so they can entrap him. They can catch him and trap him. And that's really what happens in our own life. We have been caught and trapped by a lot of things. And here's this woman, she's embarrassed. She's out, she's uh, filled with shame in front of everybody. And she's been caught in this shame and brought before Jesus. And they want to see, what Jesus or what his reaction is. And I just wanna just say this to you. All of us this morning have stumbled. All of us this morning have been caught in a trap. Maybe there's some things in our lives this morning that have entrapped us. Maybe we've got some secret things going on in our lives that have us bound that nobody knows about, and yet we want to see what will God do. And here's what Jesus does in verse number 8, verse 6. They were trying to trap Jesus in the same something the Bible says that that they could use against him. But what does Jesus do? I love this story. Jesus stooped down and started writing in the dirt... With his finger, fingers. In other words, he was kind of doodling there in the dirt. He's writing something in the dirt, and they're accusing this woman. And it seems like Jesus is not even paying attention. The Bible says they kept demanding an answer, and finally Jesus stood up. And what did he say? He said, "Here's my answer." He says, "If any one of you has never sinned, let him throw the first stone." Then he stooped down again. And continued writing in the dirt. I mean, I love this scene. And many people speculate, what did Jesus write down in that dirt? What was he writing in there? Many speculate maybe he was writing the Ten Commandments. And, and that got a hold. or maybe some of them were saying he was writing their sin that they had in their heart and he was he knew what was in their heart and he was writing it out he was writing their dirt in the dirt right all of us have some dirt on it and he was writing their dirt in the dirt and it it could have been we don't know exactly what he was writing but whatever he was writing the bible says this as he, he responded to say he that without sin cast the first stone and the Bible says uh, that this woman is there. This is this whole scene. And the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to leave. Now, here's what a couple of things that I want to say. Jesus treated this woman with, with dignity. He treated her with respect. He didn't go out there and say, oh, yeah, I can't believe her. He didn't put her down. Basically, what he's doing is he's showing mercy in front of everybody. He's not responding in anger. In fact, he's protecting her dignity, and I believe as Christians today, if you're a believer, we need to treat people with dignity regardless of their lifestyle, regardless of how they live. We may not agree with the way people live, but I want you to know we still need to treat people with dignity, People may have a different religion. Let's treat them with dignity. They may have a different political persuasion. Let's treat them with dignity. They may have a lifestyle that's gross and sin. We still treat them with, with dignity. This is what I want to say, and I want to challenge you, church, those of you listening. Jesus accepts everybody, but he doesn't approve of what everybody's doing. Okay, let me just say that. Jesus accepts everybody, but he doesn't endorse people's sin. He accepts you, but he doesn't endorse what you're doing. Jesus accepts us, uh, uh, but he doesn't endorse when we do wrong. But he does give us dignity, and he gives us an opportunity to receive mercy. And this is exactly what Jesus does with this woman. He says this in verse 9. He says, where are your accusers? He's saying to her, where are your accusers? Where are those that are accusing you? Where are they? Where are those that have been condemning you? Where are they? And this is, the, this is the great thing, I believe, that mercy does. Mercy accepts people and lets them know that, you know, we accept you, we love you, and we believe that God's mercy can come on you and change your life. See, most churches, when you go to a church, what they want, what they require is you believe first, and then after you believe, you, you start behaving, and after behaving, you, you'll belong to the church. But I believe here in praise Chapel this morning, you come in and you belong here. You already belong here. And I'm praying the day that some of you may be watching for the first time. Some of you may be visiting online for the first time. Some of you may have just started coming. And I want to say to you, you belong here. And we pray that you're going to believe. And not only are you going to believe, but it's going to change your life. And you're going to begin to behave the way God's called you to behave. Because the best life, my friend, I'm telling you, is living for God. I'm not talking about it's perfect but I'm saying to you that when you have the power and the presence of God in your life, it changes everything. And so I want to say to you that, that Jesus was willing, again, Jesus was willing from the oldest to the youngest, the scripture says, they begin to walk away after Jesus said to them, you know what? Those that, that have not sinned or those that have never sinned could cast the first stone. And here's what I want to say. Let me just add this to you. The older I get... And again, I'm not that old, but the older I get, the more aware that, 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 I, that I recognize how much I'm not perfect and my life is not all that good. I think when you're young, you have so much pride that you think you got it all together. And you'll find for those of you that are getting older, you realize, you know what, man, I, I don't have it all together. When you're older, you, you tend to give people some slack. Because you know that life isn't what everybody thinks. You ever met a young person or even a college student that learned something from a professor and they go, ah, well, my professor said this, and they think they got it all together. And they realize later on in life, everything the professor said isn't true. Think life doesn't really work out that way. And I believe this is exactly what Jesus was showing compassion. He was showing mercy. He was letting this woman know that, you know what, uh, I, I love you and I care about you. And the Bible says that Jesus stood up and quietly said to her, where are your accusers? Is there no one left to condemn you? And she said this, no one, Lord. So notice what she said. She acknowledges them as Lord. And she said to Jesus, neither, or Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now listen to what he said. I don't condemn you. I'm not tearing you down, but this is what he says after this. Now go on and leave your sinful ways. Go, basically, and sin no more. Stop living in sin. Stop continuing to live in sin. I don't, I don't condemn you, but don't keep living this way. You know better than this. It's basically what Jesus is saying. Go on and sin no more. I don't condemn you, but don't, I don't condemn you. I don't condone you, basically, but what did he do? He didn't condemn her. He didn't condone her. But what did he do? He changed her life. How? Because he gave her mercy. That's what mercy does. Mercy reaches down into the depths of our heart, into the depths of our soul, and erases our, the condemnation that the enemy tries to put on us, the condemnation that when we've messed up and we've failed God and all of us have, You know what? God's not angry. God's not up there trying to destroy us. But God wants to show us mercy as long as we turn to, uh, to him. See, God's willing to forgive us and God's willing to free us. I love this because that's what the power, that's what mercy does. That's how he erases things in our life. He not only forgives us, but he frees us. There's a scripture out of Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. And it says this, I was sent to announce freedom. This is talking about Jesus. To all who are held captive and forgiveness to all of those that have been in prison. He says, I've come to bring freedom. I come to bring forgiveness. I come to set the captives free is what the scripture is saying. And I, I'm just not talking about uh, physical prison. I'm talking about even emotional prison. A lot, a lot of people today are living captive to their emotions. They've been imprisoned by their regret. They've been imprisoned by their resentment. They've been imprisoned by their envy. How many people do you know they're resentful uh, over what uh, what what others have and what things they have and, and they're living uh, their lives like say, man, I'm resentful that, that I don't have what this person has and or we get envious or we begin to worry about so many things or we're addicted to things and Jesus came to set the captives free. And so that's what mercy does. It, it, it takes away the condemnation and it gives us freedom and it gives us forgiveness. I like what Jesus said in John 12, 47. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. So Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn it. He's actually came to the world to show mercy and to save it. Now understand this. Let me be very clear for those of you that may be listening right now. I'm not saying that there's not going to be a judgment day. Uh, let me be very clear. There's going to be a judgment day. No doubt about it. All of us are going to stand before God one day. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews nine twenty-seven, it is appointed unto man once to die, then one. Then what happens? Then the judgment of God. At the end of time or at the end of your life, the Bible says every human being is going to stand before God and give account for their life. And those of us that rejected his mercy, those of us that rejected his grace, God's not going to be your savior that day. He's going to be your judge. But I want to say this to you. God wants to be your savior. He wants to show you more mercy than judgment. In fact, James chapter 1, verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. And so Jesus is looking to give you mercy, just like he was looking for this young lady or this lady that was caught in adultery. He was w- waiting to give her mercy more than judgment. People jump real quick to judgment but Jesus or condemnation, but Jesus wants to show mercy first. Can I tell you something here at Praise Chapel? We want to show people mercy. And over and over, there are, there are hundreds of people in our church that God has shown mercy, that God has transformed their lives. And when you come, when we're able to open up this building, you're going to see the lives that God has changed. In fact, if you listen on, on Good Friday uh, to our message, we had three testimonies that were, uh, three videotaped testimonies of three people in our church that God showed mercy and God completely changed their lives because God wants to heal and he wants to restore And whenever we feel like, man, we can't make it, God wants you to know his mercy is there to help you. Let me read you a scripture out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15. It says, Jesus understands every weakness of ours. So I want to just say to you, all of us have some kind of weakness, and and all of us know what our weaknesses are. Uh, I may not know what they are, but I, I want you to know God does. And because he was tempted, the Bible says, in every way that we are, but he did not sin. So in other words, the Bible says Jesus was tempted. He had temptation like all of us do, but he never sinned against God. And then it says, so whenever we are in need, we should come boldly before the throne of God's mercy, the Bible says, or his throne of mercy to receive grace in time of need. So we can go to the the boldly before the mercy of God, before His throne of mercy, to receive that strength, to receive that grace. God's not out to rebuke us; He's out to restore us. And here's the second thing I want to say, and, and hopefully I can get through all of these before our time is ended here. But the second thing I want to know I want you to, I want you to know is God's mercy in your life will not only give us, uh, uh, be able to restore us and take away things that we've been ashamed of, but he'll take away our anger. And I wanna just tell you something about anger. And, and I wanna give you a different a, uh, angle on anger because anger comes from fear and frustration. Anger, believe it or not, is a warning light that says you're afraid and you're frustrated. That's why we're angry. And what we need is God's mercy, because many times when we don't have what we need, or when we don't have what we think we need, we become frustrated, and we become angry. And this is what I want to talk to you about, because the fact is, all of us this morning, we're not going to have everything we need. In fact, it's not everything that you. It's not every greed that that God meets today. I believe it's every need, but sometimes. Things that we think we need, we really don't need. In fact, I, I want to say this to you. I believe God intentionally doesn't give us everything we need within ourselves. In other words, if we say, well, I, I'm all I need. I don't need nobody else. I don't need God. I don't need people. And then we would never call out for God for help. And I believe we're created that way, that we, we can't fulfill every need in our own life. That there's a need that only God can fulfill. And there's a need that only people can fulfill. All of us this morning, we, 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 we fall short of so many things. Can I be honest with you? We even have disabilities. What do I mean by that? Well, we have emotional disabilities. We have uh, physical disabilities. We have mental disabilities. In other words, this morning, the, everything we can't fulfill it in ourselves. And so we need help. This is why we need to depend on God. This is where we begin to put our trust in God and depend on God. See, dependence today is a bad word because we're always hearing about independence. We're always hearing we need to be independent. We need to be on our own. But can I tell you, we need to come back to God. And there's a story here in the Bible, and I'm going to try to get through this story, about this one man, and and he's angry and he's frustrated because he's found himself in a situation that he can't get out of, and Jesus begins to, uh, Jesus comes on the scene, and and it's a famous story. It's in John chapter 5, Verse, uh, verse number two, and Jesus shows up to a man that's disappointed and to a degree very angry and frustrated. The Bible says that in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, there was the pool of Bethesda, which was surrounded by five covered uh, porches or what they call colonnades. And, and, and there were these awnings that went around this pool and all of these people were there, disabled people. And this Bible says a large crowd of all sorts of disabled people were lying around the pool. And there was a legend, okay? Apparently there was a legend that every once in a while an angel would stir up the water and whoever was the first to get in the water while they were still moving would get what they needed and be made whole. Again, this was a a legend that whoever got into the water, when the water was stirred, that they would be healed. And there was one man that was there waiting for how many years? 38 years. That's a long time waiting for a miracle. If you're waiting for a miracle for 38 years, you can imagine how frustrated, how angry this man might have been. And I've been waiting for this miracle. I've been waiting for this need to be met. And it hasn't happened yet. How many of us this morning, we've got needs in our life and we're waiting, when is it gonna happen? When am I gonna get married? When am I gonna get this promotion? When are these things gonna change? And, and it seems like God can't meet our need. And, and what happens when we're frustrated, we end up getting mad. And, we're, and, and especially when we have a disappointment. We're disappointed with the way things turned out in our lives. We're disappointed in things. This man is living in disappointment. And Jesus comes, and this is what happens in verse verse number 6. When Jesus saw this man and heard that he'd been lying there for such a long time, he asked the man, do you want to get well? Now, I'm really, that part right there, I mean, it's pretty obvious this man wants to get well. It's pretty obvious this man wants to get a miracle. Of course, uh, he wants to be well. And we would assume he'd been there 38 years. Of course, he wants to be well. But can I be honest with you? There's a lot of people that don't want to be well. Because when you, when you get well, that means you've got to become responsible. When you get well, that means there's things you've got to change. When you get healthy, that means that you've got to live differently. And so this man was sick. This man had been bound for 38 years and Jesus gives them this straightforward question basically do you want to get well and here's the man's response this is the this is where I want to get to real quick here it says the man replied I have no one to help me get in the pool when the water stirred now Jesus didn't ask him that he asked him do you want to get well but this man immediately you can see his frustration sir the man replied, I have no one to help me get in the pool when the water's stirred. He says, when I'm trying to get there, somebody else gets ahead of me. Do you see the anger? Do you see the frustration coming out? And do you see when you get frustrated and angry, he begins to blame others for his misfortune. Many times that's what happens in our lives. We're blaming others for where we're at. Sometimes we're even blaming God. I thought this was gonna happen. We're, we may be blaming God for our situation right now, We're blaming God because uh, uh, things aren't going well. And maybe they're going well in somebody else's life. They're not going well in your life. He says, I'm trying to get in there, but somebody else gets in front of me. I was trying to do this, but somebody else got it. I was trying to get this done and somebody else does this. And I love how Jesus responds because Jesus uh, doesn't get mad. He doesn't get angry back. He shows mercy. This is what he does in verse number eight. Then Jesus simply said, stand up. Come on, pick up your mat and start walking. And when the man trusted Jesus or he put his faith in Jesus, the Bible said, he was immediately able to walk again. That's the power and the mercy of God. Not only did he remove his anger, but he healed him and did a miracle. And I believe today that's gonna be, that needs to be our desire. Our desire is to want to see people healed and restored and erased that anger out of people and erased those things in that person's life. That's the power of mercy. That's the power of God this morning. And I, I wanna go to one more story because I, I wanna just uh, make sure that I, 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 I come to an end here in this last story. And I, I believe this morning, it's something that all of us need. And many of us, believe it or not, we, we, we have fears in our life. We're afraid of things. And mercy takes away that fear. Mercy removes those things that we're afraid of. Can I ask you an honest question today? Are are we afraid to die? Are we afraid uh, to, to face death? And I'm gonna say this to you, death is universal. I want you to know the mortality rate is 100%. All of us are going to die one day. And without faith in God it can be very fearful. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not afraid of dying because I know where I'm going. I have a confidence in the Lord that uh, the moment I die, I'm going to be in the presence of God. And I want to show you a story where this actually happens in Luke chapter 23. And this is the story of Jesus hanging on the cross. And the Bible says that he was crucified between two thieves and one on one side and one on the other. And and these two thieves, each one had a different reaction to who Jesus was. The Bible says here in Luke chapter 23, verse 39, one of the criminals being executed on the cross beside Jesus ridiculed him, saying, if you're supposed to be the Messiah, why don't you save yourself? So he's telling Jesus, uh, if you're really the Messiah, if you're really uh, here, uh, if you're really who you say you are, not only save yourself, but save us uh, at at the same time. Now, here's the thing. Jesus didn't come to save himself. He came to save all of us, right? But the second criminal, look at what it says, rebuked the other one and said, uh, he said, man, don't you even fear God when you're dying? We deserve to die for the evil deeds, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Now, we don't know the record of these criminals, but apparently it was so bad that they, We're sentenced to die. Of course, Jesus was innocent. But this man recognizes the wrong that he's done and the wrong that the other one has done. And let me just say it in modern English. He was saying, dude, man, how foolish you are. Man, you're a fool. Don't you realize the situation that we're in right now, how serious this is? We're about to die in a matter of seconds or a matter of minutes here, and you're blaspheming the Son of God. How could you do this? How could you dishonor God in your last moments of life. Don't you fear God? Don't you fear what's going on here? And I, I wanna say to you, this is a powerful story because it really gives us an illustration of where people are today. Many times we don't realize our own sin. We don't realize the wrong that we've done. And we're, and we're questioning God and, and we're questioning what's going on in our, in, our, in our society. How many of us this morning when we've been wronged, Or when we see evil in the world, we say, man, God ought to wipe away all the evil. Take away all the evil people. Well, all the evil people, thus, we're wrong too. There'd be nobody left on the planet. But by the mercy of God, we can become righteous in him. See, the reality is this, everyone. Everyone that's watching right now, all of us this morning are going to stand before God. We're going to give account for our lives. And I want you to know eternity starts after death. And so you need to know where you're going to go. Do you have the mercy of God? And I love this story and I love what happens here that this other criminal in verse 42 says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you know what Jesus replied? He said, I guarantee you that today you will be with me in paradise. Talk about a last minute mercy. This guy got right into heaven. Right at the last minute, God gave him mercy. Now, don't be dumb out there and say, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait for the last minute, and then I'm going to call God on God, and he's going to give me mercy. Well, you don't know how you're going to die. You don't know if you're going to have enough time for that. You know, I'm not wishing anything bad to happen, but anything could happen. It could happen subtly. You'll never have a chance. And so you don't want to live your life by chance and saying, well, I'll just call on God. You need to call on God where you have an opportunity right now. And and when this man said, remember me, when you get into your kingdom, Jesus said, you're in. Now, I want to say this to you. I say as long as, as soon as you call on the mercy of God with a heart of repentance, God hears you and God's grace and mercy will be shown on you. Typically what we do many times when I pray with somebody and I lead them to the Lord, I give them a words to the prayer and, and I always make it clear, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's not even the words of the prayer. It's the attitude of your heart. You know what saved this man? He only said two words, and he got saved that day, and he got the mercy of God, and everything was erased in his life at that moment. Two words, remember me. And Jesus said, that's it, that's good. Why? Because that man had already acknowledged his sin. He already acknowledged who Jesus was. It was he, and in humility, he said, remember me. Just remember me, God. I, I, I've done wrong. And sometimes that's all it takes is remember me, God. I need you. It's the attitude of your heart. And your attitude of your heart really opens up uh, God's mercy over your life. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamont.com.